Um, what I want to do today is a lot. I'm supposed to go through five chapters in 30 minutes. So hold on as we talk our way through and finish this, this, this section of 1 Samuel. Here, here's what I, and I'll t- explain the code here in just a minute. Um, we come to the end of 1 Samuel. David has been a fugitive for about 10 years. Saul has been a rebel against God and what God wanted for decades. And what we're going to find is a very different tale and a very different ending for these two men. And, and, and it just, it, it, I, how do I say this? God is incredibly gracious and merciful. Don't you see that every day in your life? But God is God. And a patient God in his time will act in his holiness for his own purposes. And so as we read through the the tale of two leaders, Saul and David, because the writer of Samuel is purposely juxtaposing these together for us. I want you to ask yourself, which of the two tales more resembles your life. Is that fair? Now the code. So, um, what we have here is, if you can see the picture, my coat is going to represent everything from the Dead Sea, Jordan River, up to the Sea of Galilee. Is that okay? Can you see the map up there? So, that's... And everything that's going to take place is going to be on this side. So there's times I'm going to stand back here because that's where the event takes place. So if the event is taking place back here, this is, this is where I'll stand, right? And there's other times I'm going to stand over here because that's where the event takes place. So you can, you, you'll be able to track with the map, but I'm going to try to also turn this into a map for you in our time together. Does, does that make sense? And, and the story is going to go from here to there to here to there, these five chapters. And as we move from here, we're going to go see what's happening with David, what's happening with Saul, what's happening with David, what's happening with Saul. And that's how the story progresses. So, so watch as we work through these chapters. Chapter 27, if you have your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 27, we're going to start there. And for this story, we're going to start with scene one. And I I hope you can see kind of where I'm at. So I'm I'm standing over here because this is where scene one begins. Does does that kind of make sense? Okay. In the last chapter, Saul and David had their final encounter together. And in that encounter, David, David had great faith. And and, and David said to Abishai, we won't touch him because God is God and God will destroy him in his time because Saul is a rebel and he won't change. God will deal with him. I can trust in God. He will destroy him. You know what happens as chapter 27 opens up? Look at what the Bible says. David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed By the hand of Saul. 
David, you had just said that God will destroy him and you'll be okay. And what we find is David falters in his faith. And just like he did as an individual, he ran to Achish in Gath several chapters before as an individual. Now he goes with 600 men and women and children. There's probably 2,000 of them plus. And in fear, he falters in his faith, and he comes over here to Philistine territory. And he's going to stay here for a year and a half, the Bible tells us. What I want you to see is that a sovereign God who cares for his people will continue to providentially work in David's life even though David is faltering in his faith. But when we go over here, a majestic and righteous God will say enough is enough. And it is time for the rebel to die. You see, both tell us about God, don't they, folks? You can't Say with God, I can do whatever I want and and just continue. No, God is God. But when we even lapse in our faith with him, but we're his own, God is at work. So I don't know which tale is yours, but this is a tale of two leaders. So David in chapter 27 comes to Achish, and and Achish says, uh, well, it kind of makes sense. Saul's after you. I guess you're on our side now. And David says, yeah, and I will be faithful to you. I mean, he's just, he's kicking out lies left and right. But isn't that what often happens? When you're faltering in your faith and you can't trust God, who do you trust? Yourself. And he's just spitting out one lie after another. And he says, oh, Achish, Achish, Achish. I shouldn't be here in Gath. We'll just go south. So he goes south, and Achish lets him stay in a place called Ziklag. And there, 2,000 plus call it home. Now, he stays in touch with Achish. And when he, whenever he comes up to see Achish, Achish says, So what you been up to, David? Ah, oh, David says, You know what I've been doing? I've been stepping over here into the territory of Judah. And I'm wreaking havoc amongst the Israelites. It's a lie. You know what he's really doing? He's going even farther south, and he's getting the Geshurites and the Amalekites, and he's just wiping them all out. And when he wipes them out, he totally wipes them out, so there's nobody left to tell anything about what he's done. So he's fighting all of Israel's enemies, but when he goes and talks to Achish at Gath, he says, hmm, all is well, and I'm on your side. He does that, folks, for a year and a half. It's kind of hard to cover up that long, isn't it? Did you ever try to live by your lies? Gets you in some trouble, can it? Look at chapter 28 in verse 1. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. Achish said to David, 
you must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. David said, then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. Achish replied, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. So David's been playing this game with Achish. And now what the, what, what the Philistines are going to do is they want to cut Israel right in half. And they want to actually be in control of the trade routes. So they're going to go up here and they're going to have this big battle in this area. And when they win and the Israelites flee, they just cut Israel right in half and they have the trade routes. That's what they're thinking. And Achish says, David, you're going to be with me and the entire process right beside me. And David said, and then, king, you will see exactly what I can do. Now, what's David thinking at that point? Do you ever wonder about that? I'll tell you what I think he was going to do. I think David's perspective was, if I have to stay with Achish, when we get up here for the big battle, I'm going to turn on Achish and fight for the Israelites like the Dickens. I think that's probably what he was thinking, which means, humanly speaking, he would have died. Okay? He just wouldn't make it. But here's the point. David, because of his faltering faith and his lying, had placed himself in a spot where his life became precarious. Because now now he's caught. Achish says, well, if you're for me, you're going with me. And David says, okay. What else is he going to say? And we're left with David with Achish. And the next step is to move over there and fight. The inspired storyteller stops the story right at that point. When he comes back to David, he's going to pick it up in a place called Aphek. But, but for now, he's here. The next scene actually takes place two or three days later. And now we're over here. Because when the next scene opens up in chapter 28, verse 3, what we find is that the Philistines are here and Saul in Israel is here. And your sense is, I guess David is with them. Now, we're going to find out he's not. But that's kind of your sense because here we are, and so maybe that's what's happening. We're going to find out what happened. Something happened in between, but we don't know that yet. Good storyteller. He's going to just kind of hold us on, hold us on edge a little bit. Chapter 28, verse 3. Look what the Bible says. Now, Samuel was dead. Well, we, we, we knew that. But the writer wants us to know it again. And all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own hometown of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Listen to what the text says. The Philistines assembled and came and set up at Shunem. Let me just switch here so you can see where we're at on the map. Philistines assembled and came and set up at Shunem. While Saul gathered all Israel and set up at camp at, at Gilboa. When Saul saw, how do you like that? There's Saul, Saul, okay. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who's a medium so I may go and inquire of her. Is that desperate? 
Here is Saul. He's terror-stricken because he can see the enemy that's amassing. The Philistines are just, they're picking up all their group and they're just moving right. It's going to be, it's going to be a terrible battle. And they have chariots of iron. Israelites don't have that. They've got the Jezreel Valley on their side. It's all very negative. And God will not respond to Saul. So Saul gets panic-stricken. He says, there's got to be a medium around. Now, mediums would do their work in different ways in antiquity. Probably what goes on here is this. If you went to a medium, a necromancer, what would often happen is, you would go and you say, you know, I want to talk to Uncle George or, you know, whoever, whoever it might be, somebody significant. And what would often happen is, because they believed that the spirits of those that had died were still often kind of floating around or were in Hades just kind of there, and you could kind of bring them up some. And so what would often happen is you'd have this kind of murky, shadowy-like figure that would normally just be kind of mumbling and, or chirping or something, different things. We don't know exactly. And then the medium would say, oh, this person, Uncle George, wants you to do whatever, whatever, whatever. And they would just, they would, they would interpret and actually say it. That, that, that's kind of what would happen. Well, Saul's panic-stricken. He'd gotten rid of all the mediums, he thought. But when, you're, when you are desperate, you don't care about what's right. You're desperate. And he's got to find an answer. And the only one he can figure is, I'll try to go to this medium and have a conversation from Samuel. So he's panic-stricken. So they find this woman in Endor, right in the area there, you see. And they, they, they go to her and she says, uh, you know, this is all legit, right? I mean, as if she's doing something that's legit. But, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want, well, Saul finds out, no, you'll be okay. Saul won't find out. It's like Saul's telling him. It's like, it's like, it's me. And she says, well, what do you, what do you want me to do? I, I want you to call up Samuel. You know what's fascinating in the text? When Samuel comes up, he doesn't come up as this shadowy spirit being. He comes up with, as a, with his cloak on, speaking himself. And remember what she does in the text? She screams. And ends up leaving. Because this isn't the way it's supposed to work. Like this seems like the real guy. That's what happens. And so she, and she realizes if that's Samuel, then that's got to be Saul. And she says, you deceived me. You're going to kill me. No, no, you'll be all right. And, and she's gone. She's out of the picture now. There's going to be a conversation back between Samuel and Saul. But she's out of the picture. Look in chapter 28. Look at what is said. Verse 16. Samuel said, Why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? Can you imagine how terror-stricken he must be? He hadn't seen Samuel his last several years of life. And and, and now he calls up. And you know what Samuel says to him? Samuel looks at Saul and says, Saul, do you remember 
what God had told you to do in the past with the Amalekites, and you didn't do any of that. Do you remember what I told you? That your kingdom will be taken from you and given to someone else. Do you remember that, Saul? And Saul, for the last two decades, you have been rebelling against that and trying to kill the guy that's going to fill your your shoes. Saul, you've been nothing but a rebel. Tomorrow, you and all your sons will be with me. You will die. Samuel leaves. And Saul prostrates himself on the ground. So my, and it, the text says he, has, he can't even move. He has no energy. He's totally overwhelmed. He's totally wiped out. He doesn't know what to do. And it's about that time that the witch comes back in because she's been somewhere else. She says, would you like to have a meal? And finally, they talk him into a meal. And they get ready for the battle the next day. I imagine he didn't sleep very well that night. So that's where you're left with scene two. Do you see that? There he is, chapter 28. And now, you're thinking, so I guess David is like right here, right? Not exactly. The next chapter actually flashes back... While they're in a place called Aphek. They're, they're not in Gath. They're not in Ziklag. They're in Aphek. And look at what happens here in chapter 29. Then the Philistines gathered all their forces at Aphek. And Israel camped at the spring in Jezreel. So Israel's already up there. The Philistines are moving. They're on the move. And the Philistine rulers marched with their units of hundreds and thousands. David and his men were marching at the rear with Achish. The commanders of the Philistines asked, what about these Hebrews? So we had last been left with David here. We then flashed forward to a battle that's going to happen the next day there. We're now flashing back to the Philistines on their way there with the scene that takes place at Aphek here. Have I lost you? So they're not there yet. Because I'm thinking David's got to be there with them. And, and, and the inspired storyteller says, now let me go back and just realize on their way there, God intervenes. And while they're all gathering together, a bunch of the military guys get together, the Philistines, and say, no, whoa, 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 wait a second. I'm not much of a musician. But you know that ditty that's been going around for a long time? Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens. I don't know how they sang it. Tens of thousands. That's what you get from me. Okay, that's it. Right. But, but, but whatever they say, like, that guy's on our side. But how do we know he's on our side? How do we know that we might not get up here and he's going to turn on us? And to be honest with you, they were exactly right. But humanly speaking, if David would have continued up here and would have done what I think David would have done, which is turn on the Philistines, David would have probably died. Makes sense, doesn't it? But a gracious God, when our faith falters and we make bad decisions and we get ourselves caught, but in our heart of hearts, we do love him. 
God steps in and intervenes. And Achish says to David, David, these guys don't want you to go. I want you to go. And David, David plays the game even there. Oh, man, bomber. I really wanted to go. You know, it doesn't say bomber in the text, but that's what he says. And, you know, I just really want to go. I know, but you better not. So tomorrow morning, as soon as daybreak, you're out of here. Oh, all right, okay. Man, he's just been delivered. Now, it may also be in his thinking that he wanted to go and fight. He was willing to die because he wanted to fight against the Philistines. I don't know. I don't know all what he was thinking. The text doesn't tell us. But God steps in. Do you see that? And David goes back to Ziklag, where his family is, down here. Do I have a scene? Oh, yeah, it's all part of this. Okay. Now he's down in Ziklag. As soon as they get there, it takes them three days to get there. As soon as they get there, they find out everything's burned and everything's gone. None of their wives, none of their children, none of their slaves, nothing. They're all gone. And look what the Bible says in in chapter 29. I'm sorry, chapter 30. Chapter 30, verse 1. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them. What a miracle that is. But carried them off as they went their own way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Have you ever cried that much? We've all had times in our lives where you've cried so much, you say, like, I just don't have any more tears in my tear ducts. I just, it's, I'm just, like, I'm done. We've all had that. That's what they cried. Because they thought, my wife, my kids, our things, it's all gone. And they're just, they're just, there's nothing left. David's two wives had been captured. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. I can get that. What were we doing up there? Why are we doing all this? Maybe we should have stayed in Judah. Why'd you bring us here, David? We've lost everything. Let's kill him. That's what they're saying. And David lies. Is that what the text says next? David does what he should have done a long time ago. But David found strength in the Lord his God. David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring the ephod. Abiathar brought it. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake it? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David was just saying, can we even catch these guys? And the answer coming back from God is, you will not only catch these guys, you will rescue. This is a rescue mission, which you will accomplish. David got more than he answered. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the door was shut. David, when he turns to God, God immediately answers. And so they chased. Here's something interesting, fascinating. Listen to this. Over here, when Saul, when Samuel is talking to Saul, when Samuel comes back, 
He's talking to Saul. Remember he says, you were unfaithful in wiping out the Amalekites. Do you know who David ends up fighting against to get his family back? The Amalekites. And he goes, and the Bible says, from, from dusk until the evening of the next day, they find, they get to these Amalekites, they find an Egyptian servant there along the way that leads them there. And when they get there, these guys are just drunk and spread out all over the place, man, just living it up. David's men pounce. And they wipe out all but 400 of them who happen to flee away. But for for well over 24 hours, they're out of battle. They're just fighting, fighting, fighting. And David and all of his men get all of their family members back unharmed. And not only their possessions, but the possessions that the Amalekites have taken from other people. They go back to Ziklag. And there, they divvy things up. Things seem to be going well. And David, David also, because he has extra possessions, David says, do you remember all those people over in Judah when I was running around for 10 years that protected me and watched over me? Not Nabal, but others. Let's send them all kinds of gifts and thanks to what they have done. And that's where David's story ends. David is now poised as we come into 2 Samuel to step out of being a fugitive to being the king of the southern tribes. Did he get there on his own? Are you kidding? It was an incredibly providential, gracious God who took a faltering, a man who was faltering in his faith who finally turns to God. God puts him exactly where he wants him to be. Do you see how gracious God can be? Did we not hear, and we could have heard a whole host of more testimonies, not only from these ladies, but going across this whole congregation of believers who have said, I have seen God do that in my life more than I can imagine. And I praised him for it. Am I, am I telling the truth? I, I think of how many times I've stepped into Fer- uh, Philistine territory thinking Finkbeiner can do it on his own. And, and, and a gracious, and I get backed up to the wall and I finally say, God, what am I doing? And he's gracious. But there's one more scene. It's the battle scene back here. I know what's happened to David. We went bing, bing, bing. We're back here, bing, last fourth bing, scene four. And I have to tell you, when I read chapter 31, you know who my heart grieves the most for? Jonathan. Stellar character all the way through because of what his father does, but he's still faithful to his father, he's going to die on that battlefield with his dad. But that's how it works sometimes, doesn't it? People get caught up in the consequences of the acts of others. It's what happens. It's very sad. So chapter 31, 
Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them and many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword, run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When his armor bearer saw what Saul had done, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men died together. That same day. Folks, that's a tragedy. And it's a tragedy that never had to happen. For decades, God had been crying out to Saul to repent. And all Saul could do was say, I will be king. I don't care what God says. And I will kill my competitor. That's all he did. And God said, it's enough. And Saul took his three sons, armor-bearer, and other men with him. When the Israelites along the valley, uh, when the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled, that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and fled, and the Philistines came and occupied them. It was exactly, they cut the nation in half, and they started occupying this land. It's exactly what they wanted. The Philistines are going, yes. But I'll just say this to the Philistines. This isn't the first time in Samuel that you had a great victory against Israel. You had one back in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel. But then God rose up Samuel and put you back in your place. And the very man that you think is your ace in the hole is going to be the man that's going to put you back in your place again. So don't rejoice too long. Enjoy the moment because that's about all you got. Text goes on to tell us that the next day, Philistines are going through and they come across and they find the body of Saul. And I know this sounds terrible, but this is what they did so often in antiquity. Not only did they cut off his head, stripped him of all his clothes and his armor, they then took the body of Saul and his sons and went to Beit Shan. And they put it up on the wall so that anybody walking by could say, that's what happens if you're you're with Saul and you're on Yahweh's team. We're the Philistines and we're the victors. It was the most shaming thing you could do. But Saul had done something really well in the first year of his rule. He He had protected some men in Jabesh Gilead who didn't live real far from there. And those men never forgot what Saul did. And so with those bodies up on the wall, the Jabesh Gilead men traveled during the night, and during the night, I don't know how they did this, they got the bodies of Saul and all of his sons off of there, they took it back, and they buried them in in Jabesh Gilead. It's an amazing story. of Just incredible heroism. So even this terrible tragedy has a little glimmer of hope in it. 
because of what Saul had done for the, those in Jabesh Gilead years and years and years before. So what's the point, Doug? On the one hand, God sovereignly protects a wavering David who places himself in a precarious situation. But on the other hand, God sovereignly judges an obstinate Saul by ending his life and allowing the Philistines to defeat the Israelites. So what's that mean for us? While God is gracious with his faltering people, he is just with those who continually rebel against him. He's God. He's not a grandfather up in heaven where you can play with him and say, oh, he'll always let it go. No, he won't. This is not my world. It is his world. God is God. And he's incredibly gracious. I was thinking this morning, I won't read it, to get a chance to read Nahum chapter 1. It's a really interesting chapter. It's a wonderful chapter on God's grace and mercy and protection for his people. And juxtaposed right next to it is, but God is God. And you will not mess with him. And he will judge as he sees fit when he chooses. For God is God. And you know what it made me think of? Let me read this to you. And then we'll wrap it up. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I've mentioned this before, but I just I want to read it to you. Mr. Beaver says this. They're talking about the lion, Aslan. Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion, says Mr. Beaver. Oh, said Susan. I, I thought he was a man. Um, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. That really does say it, doesn't it? Is he safe? No, he's not safe. Saul, he is not safe for a rebel. But he is good for his faltering people. One other text, because it is Palm Sunday. I thought about what Jesus said to those who stand before him with a fist held like this. And what does he say to his faltering disciples? First, to the first group, Matthew 23. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. So your house is left to you desolate. Folks, that's always how it works. A gracious God reaches out, reaches out, reaches out, and people, no, no, no. And there comes a point where God says, okay, you can have it. That's not freedom. That's the worst. 
One other verse. Jesus says to his disciples. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Do you see the difference? Faltering men in their faith before God and Christ says, I will resurrect. I will redirect your lives. I will set you on a course that only I can do because I am the great God and Savior. Folks, in our lives, we have got to keep these in balance. God is never safe, but he is good. So which tale is yours? Saul's or David? Father, your word plays it straight. Your word is, is hard sometimes. And Lord, we grieve to see the tragedy that happened to Saul. We grieve to see the tragedy that happened in the ministry of Christ to the religious leaders who constantly rejected Jesus. We rejoice that you are gracious to us even when we are faltering. Lord, we pray that we would run to you sooner, quicker, embrace you fully, so that we might live in a way that honors you and live out the life that you have for us. God, it's a tale of two city, two, two, two leaders. But we don't have to live like a Saul or even like David because you have come. You have given us of your spirit and we can be different people. Do your good work in our lives. Draw those that don't know you to yourself this day. And for those of us that know you, Lord, may we submit fully to you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.